can pick up this book and read it and actually use it like a workbook almost to build your own system. Like we're, we're giving you the plans, okay? Not just the arguments. Uh, Welcome to the Grading Podcast, where we'll take a critical lens to the methods of assessing students' learning. From traditional grading to met- alternative methods of grading, we'll look at how grades impact our classrooms and our students' success. I'm Robert Bosley, a high school math teacher, instructional coach, intervention specialist, and instructional designer in the Los Angeles Unified School District and with Cal State LA. And I'm Sharona Krinsky, a math instructor at Cal State Los Angeles, faculty coach, and instructional designer. Whether you work in higher ed or K-12, whatever your discipline is, whether you are a teacher, a coach, or an administrator, this podcast is for you. Each week, you will get the practical, detailed information you need to be able to actually implement effective grading practices in your class and at your institution. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. On tonight's episode, we have our very first special guest with us. This person is a math educator, a book author, a blogger, um, one of the original organizers of the grading conference and a good friend of ours here at the grading podcast so please help me welcome dr robert tabbert hello how are you today robert i'm good thanks for having me on i'm really honored to be your first guest i can only go uphill from here for for you all (laughs) so um anytime we have a new guest on one of the things that we of course want to know is a little bit about yourself but also what brought you into, you know, kind of this world of alternative grading? Okay, so uh, so I'm a professor in the math department at Grand Valley State University. We're here in western Michigan. Uh, we're uh, in the Grand Rapids area, about halfway between Grand Rapids City and the Lakeshore. Uh, and uh, I've been at Grand Valley for this will be my 13th year, uh, unbelievably, uh, in the in the fall. And uh, so I, I, my role is mostly just a, a simply to teach in as a classroom instructor, but I also have a role in our president's office. Uh, I direct a program called Laker Learning Futures, which is a, a program to connect faculty with teaching innovation research projects. And so we implement teaching innovations in the classroom and then study them and try to you know, surface a lot of innovation that takes place underground uh, at Grand Valley, try to get it surfaced so it's no longer underground and we can figure out what to invest in. So uh, how I got involved with alternative grading uh, was really, I think, uh, pretty similar to the way a lot of people get involved with it, which is a sudden realization that the traditional way of grading just makes no sense whatsoever and is actually actively harmful to students. I was teaching a calculus course. It must have been about it was 2016. It was several years ago. And uh, I, I tell this story in, in, in the book and uh, also, also on our blog, but this, the student was a very bright uh, biology, I think, chemistry possibly major. And she came in and uh, very bright, but just on a 10 day delay from everybody else. Like she would, if you gave her time, she would be all over the most, most uh, abstracted and difficult concepts of the course, mastering these things. But of course, you don't get time in a traditionally graded class, which is what I had been doing uh, for the first you know, 17 years of my career at that point. And uh, you know, she super excited, super active and engaged in the class and 
first test hits, she bombs it because she just hasn't quite had the time to get up to speed with this material yet. And so she's mathematically eliminated from getting an A in the class after the very first test. And so that takes her engagement down several notches. Now she's just like an ordinary, I'll show up for class because I have to kind of student. Second test comes around, same thing, uh, bombs that one too. Now she's mathematically eliminated from a B. And uh, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse from there. Uh, she just began to really spiral into uh, a state of, I would just call, you know, mental unhealthiness in a lot of ways. I mean, just wouldn't you? I mean, you're, you're, you really like a subject. You're trying to study it. You're trying to do the best you can. And just gradually, piece by piece, you know, the, the, the assessment system wears you down and basically communicates to you that you're worthless and you have no ideas to speak of. And eventually she dropped the class. I never heard from her since. Um, and I remember finishing that class up, just saying to myself, I don't know what I'm going to replace my way of grading with. I don't even know what's out there. Like I have no idea what an alternative grading system might look like, but I can't do this way of grading anymore. I can't do this anymore and I won't do this anymore. So I've, this was December. I had another class coming up in January just a few weeks later. And uh, I was just fully prepared to just invent a grading system. Like, I don't know what this is going to look like, but I'm going to take my whole Christmas break and invent a grading system. Now, fortunately, I did not have to invent anything because Linda Nilsson, who is a genius and a legend in, uh, in uh, the whole area of faculty development, had just written this book on specifications grading. I had no idea what specifications grading was, never heard of the term, but I saw Linda's name on it. And I thought, well, if it's, if it's Linda Nilsson, it's going to be pretty good. So I just devoured this book, learned about specs grading. And in the space of about two weeks time, I just immersed myself, threw out everything that I had written for my next class and converted to specs grading and ran it that way. So it was a trial by fire. I do not recommend that course of action to anybody. You should really take your time with converting to an alternative grading system. There's a lot of stuff I did wrong uh, that first time, uh, but it was better than the other times. And I have not had a student uh, get locked out of success ever since then. So that's a, that's kind of my origin story there. Kind of goes back to just one student. And so I have a question for you, Robert, because you and I got connected through the Google circles. So mm -hmm. what caused you to create a Google circle on this stuff? <laughs> well, because I, I just, I overshare everything. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm, I've, I've been a blogger for a really long time, right? Because I, I used to work in a small, like very small liberal arts college. Before I came to Grand Valley, which is a, a fairly large institution, we have 23,000 students and we have 60 faculty in the math department. It's a big place. But before that, I had spent 10, 14 years actually in small liberal arts colleges where I was like maybe one of two faculty, math faculty, one of three math faculty. And not everybody in my department, although they were great colleagues, did not share my, my sort of lust for innovation, I guess you could say. Like I was always thinking about like what's what's something we can do differently? Why are we doing it this way? Let's let's poke the box a little bit. And so I got I didn't have a lot of people to bounce ideas off of back in those days. And so I started blogging uh way back twenty third you know, two thousand and four, I want to say I mean, it was it was a long time ago. Uh just to kind of get my ideas out there because I had ideas that I wanted to share and I had nobody to share them with. So I just started, started blogging and people started responding. And so the Google plus circle 
you know, long God bless Google Plus, right? It was a that was a that was a platform that was ahead of its time. Uh, so I created that Google Plus circle mainly to just try to you know get other people who were thinking the same thing. So I, to to talk with me about this, so I wouldn't think I was going insane. That's pretty cool because I mean that that's how I met you first was actually through the Google Plus circle, and then yeah. I went to that event you were talking about at Cal Poly Pomona not knowing yeah. you were talking there. Right. And we just sort of <laughs> ran into each other. It was pretty interesting. Ran into each other. And I think we talked longer after that than you did giving your workshop on flipped learning. I think so. <laughs> I think we did. Think so. <laughs> and what's, what's something I kind of find interesting about that is, isn't that kind of where the grading conference like started to come about was you guys meeting there and then that growing with Kate Owens and a few others. I think well, that, now, yeah, go ahead, John. I was just say I think that led to the meetup at MathFest, and MathFest is where the conference started. Would you say that's the correct? Well, I can I can tell you this: the where the conference itself really got started was David Clark and I. David Clark is my co-author on the Grading for Growth book and on the Grading for Growth blog, and he's also a colleague of mine in the math department at Grand Valley. And our our offices are along uh, hallways that intersect like in a T, and. Uh, we, we are literally running into each other constantly when we were in person on campus. And so we just, this happened one day. And I, I think I just said, Hey, David, you know, we ought to, we should make a conference about this stuff. He was like, yeah, that'd be cool. And that, that's where that came from. <laughs> but I would say going back to like running into you, Sharona, at Cal Poly Pomona and knowing Kate Owens, uh, you know, that was the, 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 the network to make that conference happen was definitely in place before David and I sort of, literally ran into each other because we started we started putting it together and realized you know putting together a conference it turns out is pretty hard work and you know, we, we didn't have any idea what we were doing and at, at that time it was going to be an in-person conference we were just going to host it at grand valley and then we realized we were in way over our heads and we thought well we need to pull some more people in on this and the first two people we went to were sharona and kate because that's who we knew and we knew them because of google plus and because of conferences so conferences are putting in work it's what they're supposed to be for is to make these networks right exactly so okay i'm going to ask my first question unless boz do you have more that you wanted to ask right now no, go, go ahead okay. so so you know people who might be listening to the pod maybe came from the conference maybe came from twitter um but yeah this is pretty early in the sequence of the podcast so one of the reasons we wanted to have you on so early was because like you said, you're a prolific writer. And so you have a blog with David Clark, Ready for Growth, and you have a new book out. As of when this is gonna air, the book is either out or going to ship shortly. Uh, I do confess to having ordered a couple copies already. Um, nice. But can you tell us a little bit about why a book? Well, so I, this is my this is my second book. Uh, my first book is called uh, Flip Learning, A Guide for Higher Education Faculty. And I wrote that book in 2017 uh, because I was at this point where I, I had shared. I mentioned I wrote I started blogging to share ideas. And you reach a point where you write about the same idea enough times you start to start repeating yourself. You know, and I, I remember literally I think it actually may have been coming back from that conference at Cal Poly Pomona. I was on the plane and I thought, oh, I'm going to start working on my next blog post. And I wrote it out on my, on my laptop. And then I got home and I realized I had written the exact same blog post almost word for word three years before. 
<laughs> and just wow. sort of forgotten that I'd done it. And it was at that point I thought, yeah, I need to quit blogging about this and actually just get everything into one place into a book form. And that's that's kind of where that book came from. Was just I just want to take all the little bits and pieces writing that I've done over the years and stitch them all together, connect the dots, add some research to it, and just kind of make it a book. And that book's done really well. Uh, and so I felt like it was time especially with David around because like David Clark is a genius and he's an amazing teacher and, you know, has really pushed the needle on alternative grading and inquiry based learning. And I've learned a lot from David and there are others in our department who are also amazing you know, practitioners of these alternatives. Well, grading and systems. full disclosure, and Dave, Dave is a future guest on the podcast. I was going to so say, if he's not, then you get on because you'll get to hear from him too. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, between the two of us, we had enough experience that we just like, I think it's, we, we just realized it was time to do the same thing with alternative grading, right? Because we had been using it, uh, various forms in the classroom for several years by that point. And it would just be good to have everything we think we know about alternative grading into one volume that we can give out to people. And it's got everything that you at the moment, I think, would need to know about alternative grading. So that's where the book came about because of that desire to just sort of get more like I think the thing that has really set apart our book and something we've committed to really early on to make it a little different from other books about ungrading and all grading that are out there or coming out there is that we do make some impassioned, you know, moral arguments for why you should think about using ungrading and alternative grading. But we also give blueprints, right? This is a big deal for us. So we want to actually get the means of doing alternative grading into the hands of professors. You can pick up this book and read it and actually use it like a workbook almost to build your own system. Like we're, we're giving you the plans, okay? Not just the arguments uh, in favor of. And so we really felt strongly that, that that was a need out there at this point in time. Like there's a lot of interest and people are, I think you talk to people who have read uh, you know, some of like Alfie Cohn's work and so forth on grading. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's that's a great idea, but how do you do it? That's that's the question we kept getting. It's like, okay, well, here's how to do it, and that's what the book is about. And the blog grew out because I had read uh, about Chris Rock, the comedian Chris Rock. He has this practice of showing up unannounced to small comedy clubs just to try out jokes that he might deploy in his large shows and he shows up with a notebook and a pen on the stage and just like tries a joke out stops makes some notes about how it, how it landed or how it didn't land or whatever and just kind of goes from there and i thought that's what we need for the book and you know, we need to we need to to workshop these ideas for the book and a blog is a great way to do that so the blog has been about trying out ideas in public so that the the public who reads it can comment and tell us, well, that was really useful. Or it's like, well, that's, that's a load of horse hockey or whatever the case may be. And we can take that feedback back to our writing process and say like, this worked really well, this over here, yeah, not so much, but it actually, but it could be good. So the blog has been a way for us to beta test, I guess, and uh, focus group out some of the ideas. And in fact, you'll find uh, some, some of the uh, early versions of chapters of the book or sections of the book on the blog that they got their life first there. So, yeah, and that's, that's really interesting because um, that practical piece of your book is also part of the reason why we're doing this podcast. You mm -hmm. know, we've seen, there's lots of great educational podcasts out there. There's lots of great, you know, books and stuff like you alluded to, but 
we've worked with enough staff now that we see a lot of people um, really kind of fumble the first few times that they try this. And you even mentioned, you know, how bad your first one was. Uh, we talked about the first time we tried to do the Sharona and, and how much of a disaster that our first attempt at alternative grading was. Um, so that's that's one of the goals. So I'm thrilled to hear that that's in the book. Um, I am also um, looking forward to getting your book. I'm still wanting to find a way to get a signed copy, but uh, I, I, I... Well, don't wait for that, just buy it. <laughs> well, and then, you know, along those lines, Boz, one thing you and I've been talking about lately is as we're out there in the world talking about this stuff, more and more people are coming up to us going, yeah, I heard about this thing and it's all the buzz, but I don't really understand it. I don't really need it. And we've taken enough people through the process of conversion right now to understand just how challenging that first conversion is. Um, and we don't want people to get turned off from continuing with it. So I guess that would be going back to your personal experience. My next question would be after you know, what was your disastrous first experience? And and if people want to know, we'll drop a link in the show notes to your keynote. Uh, I think sure. it was from last year where you quite right. vulnerably shared how bad it was. Why did you continue doing it? Well, because it was the right thing to do. I mean, it was the right thing to do. It was obviously the right thing to do. I just wasn't doing it well at the moment, but that's okay. So, I mean, I, I, I basically am subjecting myself to the very same process of iteration feedback that I expect from my students. Like you're going to try something out, you're learning differential equations or whatever, something hard. And, you know, the first time you do it, I mean, it, it all looks good when you read it, watch the video or listen to the professor lecture, but then you sit down and try to solve a, a differential equation. It's like a train wreck, but that's okay because you're just starting. Okay. And you know, the whole idea is to iterate on this process with feedback. And so, yeah, I mean, Sharona, you said you said vulnerable, and I, 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 I kind of have to laugh at that almost because to me, it's just like that's not. I mean, that's just like normal. <laughs> I don't know. I, people will sometimes come up to me and say, "Like, wow, that was really brave of you to to share out." It's like, really? Okay, I'm just I'm just sort of like saying, "Wow, I did this, and it was it was like." It wasn't a total disaster. There were a lot of things wrong. And I'm, I'm very happy to share that with the world because I want to get better at what I'm doing. You know, And the only way to do that is to is to put it out there and, and let people see it and comment on it. Well, and I suggest that that's because you have so internalized a fundamental principle of this grading system, you're not even recognizing it, which is you've internalized failure as a needed part of a learning system and it's nothing to be ashamed of. And I think that's one of the things I know I'm trying to change with the work that we're doing here is failure is not failure. It's an important and integral part of the learning process. Yeah. And I guess that's right. I mean, I've reflected a lot about how my experience as a musician has informed my my process as a teacher. I've been a musician since I was in middle school and I, I do I play a lot of music now. And, you know, it's like when, when you're a musician, you try not to make mistakes, right? Obviously. I mean, making mistakes is something you try to avoid, but you're going to make mistakes. And the practice is just an essential part of what you do as a musician. I mean, you cannot make good music without a whole lot of practice that involves a whole lot of of sloppiness and just, you know, but you listen, you record yourself, you get a teacher, you, you get to get the feedback and eventually it starts to, 
it starts to stick. And what we see when we go see a band play or, or watch something on YouTube is like the result of thousands of hours of feedback and failure. And so I guess growing up as a musician, like that's that's where that got internalized. But yeah, I think you're right. And and sadly, higher education does nobody any favors because it sort of stigmatizes failure in many ways. Even though expert researchers know that you have to try things and fail, and yet you know the the system that we have for keeping our jobs in higher education is sort of predicated on getting things right all the time. It's often the first time. And so especially younger faculty who might, might be victimized by this, honestly, how do you get tenure? You know, you'd have to basically do everything right, you know, and there's not much, not much margin for error. So it's, it's a, I, I think I grasp that that's a difficult thing, but it's, it still strikes me as funny sometimes <laughs> with it, like vulnerability is just part of my DNA, I guess. I don't know. I overshare in other words. Or, Again, for you, it may not be vulnerability because you don't stigmatize failure for yourself anymore. That's so, true. I mean, for so me, it's if, just like, it's a yeah. day that ends in why. I mean, it's not really you know, anything special. So I know that I, I'm trying to hold myself to that same standard and be willing to fail publicly, essentially, and not feel embarrassed by it because it's just an opportunity to learn and, and do something better. Right. Yeah, and I think that's where the, the the value of these communities of practice that have really built up, like starting with the Google Plus Circle, that was like a very early attempt at a community of practice around alternative grading or mastery grading, as we called it back in the day. And I think the the uh, the conference, the grading conference, has been like an amazing uh, uh, outgrowth of people who are just hungry for communities uh, where they can feel safe to do these kinds of things. Like you can, you can go into a classroom and just really stink it up with your syllabus and like realize it and then come into the slack uh, for alternative grading or to the, uh, to the conference and be fully, you know, fully disclose all the bad things that went wrong and you're still accepted. You're still okay. In fact, you're better than okay. You're getting better every day the moment you do that. So I just want to give a shout out to to you and Bosley and everybody who who puts that conference together because I mean, it's a, the, the the value of that community towards pushing the needle on this this movement is like can't be uh, overstated. Well, on that and and tied to that, the Slack channel that you were forced to move the Google Plus <laughs> to right. That's that's right. That was that's the uh, where it evolved. <laughs> well, and then it, you it, know, it was shut down, and we had to figure out what to do with it, so we moved it to Slack. I'm and now Slack is right charging. Is. Yeah. <laughs> Slack is charging. Yeah, we got There's asked no, if we're going to no move. a good way to do this. Everybody charges in the end, so. Yeah. Sorry, Boz. So where does it go next? <laughs> well, just, we were asked oh, well, if we were going to move it to a, Discord. That was a thing. When Slack started charging, it's like, well, do we move? Do we take it to Discord? Do we self-host something? And eventually we just said, nah, free version's okay. But who knows? Who knows? Tomorrow it could be different. Well, and I know that, you know, that's another reason. I mean, I, the reason we launched the podcast is because I, I said to Bosley one morning over breakfast and I almost made him spit his drink that he had just taken a big one out over the, over the table. But I said, what do you think of doing a podcast? And I thought he was going to look at me and say, you're insane. Um, he didn't. He said it was a great idea. And then I made he was a, thinking it. Though. Well, no, no, I made him spit because I said something snarky about myself that he agreed with. And that's where he um, <laughs> I said something about liking talking 
and uh, he he lost it. Um, but I do know that from for me, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and they do create community. There's opportunities to create community. So I know that over time, we're hoping to create community, and and as we get this off the ground, we'll also be you know supporting some some community stuff here as well. So mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I don't success. Well, I never would have done what I had done if I hadn't sat down with you at Polyteach. Um, because first I heard Uri Treisman say that the only disruption that, that actually sticks is innovation. Uh, the only invasion, innovation that sticks is disruptive and you have to go big or go home. And then I sat with you for a couple of hours talking and I went back to Cal State LA and, and told my co-coordinator that I needed to take a coordinated GE statistics course into standards-based grading. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the you know the uh, the the uh, dedication for our book in the very front says uh, to those who have the courage to make the first step. David Clark came up with that because I told you he's a genius, right? So that, I love that statement. I think that's that really describes your experience too, Sharona. You had the courage to make that first step, and that's all it took—the first step—and then you have the community to fall back on for feedback, safe, effective feedback. So going back to the book then for a minute what do you hope people will get out of it? Like if you had to call out a few things that you're particularly proud of? Well, I think my favorite thing, the two things about this book that I really resonate with, and I'm so proud that it turned out the way that it did. First of all, uh, the heart of the book is a large collection of case studies. I mean, this is not abstracted stuff. I mean, uh, at least a third of the book, if I'm recalling this correctly, is case studies of actual, like real life, frontline instructors in higher education systems of all sorts. I mean, some are large R1 universities, and I think we have some have a community college in there. We have some adjunct professors who are doing things, and they're all sharing their process. And uh, you really see the full range of how a person might implement alternative grading in some form that fits them and fits their students. You definitely walk away from these case studies with a sense that it's there's not just one way to do it uh, and that you can adapt to almost anything. And I love the fact that it focuses on other people, really, honestly. I feel like the, one, one of the great opportunities we have with the book and also with our blog moving forward is to elevate other people's voices and other people's practices because there are, there are a million instructors out there in higher ed who are just getting it done. Like uh, they have big classes, they're still doing it. They are uh, have online classes, they're still doing it. They have coordinated lab sections, they're still doing it. It's like they're completely undeterred in doing the right thing for their students. I think it's just so cool and inspiring to read the details about what they're doing. And it's not high level stuff either. It really gets into the weeds. I think that's really important. And the second thing, I'm going to come back to saying we we have this one chapter that almost went in in a very different form, but our our editor liked it so much he made us change it back. Uh, that is basically a self-contained workbook that can go to this chapter, and it's just like a step by step by step by step. And David and I came up with this process of just you can walk through the steps of this workbook chapter and uh, create a prototype of your very own alternative grading system that you can then iterate on and, and improve with. So, I mean, you're really getting the, 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 the details and the blueprints for how to make this work in your own classes. And with the case studies, you get like some inspiration and, and some, uh, some assurance that this actually works in real life. 
and there's all kinds of stuff that I'm, I'm really happy with the way the book turned out. But those two things, especially, uh, I, I think are, are going to be, I hope, hopefully, you know, people will come away with a sense of like, I can do this. I, I can absolutely do this with the students I have. I don't have to be in any special place or have a special position or have any special funding or whatever. I don't have to have small class sizes. I can do it where I'm at and I can do it well because everybody, I see all these other people who are doing it well. See, and that's, that's really cool because that's one of the things that I have found, especially working with my um, K-12 partners, um, is as we're going through this and as we're trying to convert um, from a traditional graded class to an um, alternative, a lot of them seem to have the idea that, you know, alternative grading or specs grading, like there's one version of it. There's one way to do it. And you just need to tell me how to do that. And it's, you know, we really do. We, uh, I think Sharona and I both like to joke, if you have, you know, a hundred people in the room that do alternative grading, you probably have 120 ways that it's done. Uh, <laughs> you know, that I this not on. only is this, you know, a, a more equitable and, and um, more, accurate grading system in my opinion but it also has a ton of freedom so you can really make it work for your style your class your students and the purpose that your class is supposed to be doing yeah absolutely which makes it very much unlike traditional grading i mean if you want a one-size-fits-all then traditional grading is it i mean you just slap points on stuff and then average it i mean and i think we all understand at this point that that's there's a lot of problems with the way that particular approach. It sounds good on paper. That's what we're used to, but boy, has it got some serious issues on all fronts. So, I mean, you're absolutely right, Bosley. I mean, and I would say too, that no one person does alternative grading the same way in consecutive semesters, at least if I'm looking to my own experience, I mean, I'm, I'm constant. I can never leave well enough alone. Right. I mean, I'm constantly tweaking. I've kind of started to like, settle in on a comfortable uh, uh, approach that I tend to kind of go for my default. I have to now get to the point where I have to question my assumptions about alternative grading. Like, why, why am I using, you know, this many learning objectives? What if I didn't have any learning objectives? You know, just kind of making myself get outside the box in alternative grading. But yeah, there's plenty of room for evolution over time. And uh, there's absolutely not one way to do what we're talking about. The best... We, we, we tried to isolate some of these ways early on in the book writing, David and I did, but we couldn't do it because there were just too many, there's too much variation. So we, we came up with this model called the four pillars of alternative grading. It's like no matter who does it or who, who you do it on or with or what your subject is or whatever, uh, you know, alternative grading, all forms that we could identify as alternative grading have these four, you know, sort of common characteristics to them. And so we focus really heavily on the, on that in the book. And it's like, look, you might not do straight up ungrading the way that, I don't know, uh, like Susan Bloom does in describing her book. And that's okay. It's okay if you don't. And you might not do specs grading just like Linda Nilsson set up to do. And that's also okay. Uh, but you're probably going to want to focus on certain things. And that's what you got to focus on. Well, and just to clarify, especially if we have someone who's new to the pod, if you go back over the last couple of episodes, we will have just, um, we, we not only dove deeply into some of those issues with traditional grading, which quite frankly, Robert, are even worse than we've talked about before. Um, Bosley and I have been doing some really deep dives into it and 
and, and talking on this topic. And then we do have an episode and we'll insert it into the show notes on the four pillars uh, that will be coming out before it, before this one does, because those, those are the foundational ones. But I also wanted to go back to another thing um, that you said and and piggyback off it that you keep iterating. So where are you now with your alternative Mm -hmm. grading practices? (laughs) <laughs> that's that's a good question. So I, I uh, right now the my my sort of comfort zone, I guess, if you will, is a specs grade, a specifications grading setup where I, I, I conceive of designing a class on kind of like a three D axis, like these three axes of student engagement that are not totally independent, but you can measure them independently. One of them. Uh, because I teach math and most of my classes are math courses that computer science majors take or engineers take. So uh, there is a lot of basic computational skill uh, that happens in those classes. And that's one of the axes. Like I want, I want to isolate those. So one, one axis of grading is, uh, you know, just foundational computational skills. Like you should be able to find the eigenvectors of, eigenvalues of a two by two matrix. Okay, that's that's something that was a foundational skill. But there's also another axis that's perpendicular to that about applying things. Like you should also be able to show evidence that you can take those foundational skills and apply them to interesting and useful problems. So that's another axis I want to measure my students' progress on. And then there's a third axis that you could just call engagement if you want to, or being a citizen of the course. You know, you're, are you showing up? Are you doing your pre-class work? Are you asked, are you are you active on the discussion boards and that kind of thing? And so, you know, my, my grading system kind of uses these, Linda Nilsson would call them bundles, I guess. I think I'm more of just like categories of things. So I have different assessments that not too many, but uh, measure along each of those axes. So, like, I have a whole bunch of assessments lined up uh, in that I call app, uh, that I call uh, application extension problems, or application problems, or some variation of that. And that measures the uh, the axis of can you apply foundational stuff to new things. And uh, I have another set of assessments that might be like homework problems, basic homework problems, and skill quizzes uh, that measure the foundational skills, and and some things to measure engagement, like how just simply turning in class prep exercises. I've, I've written, I've gotten very deep into the weeds on this on uh, the Grading for Growth blog just recently. Uh, if you go there, uh, there's a two part post uh, on. Uh, grading for growth in an engineering math class. So if you read both parts of that, you'll get way more detail than you can digest, you know, in a lifetime, I'm sure. Um, but a grade grading students just simply in terms of how much accomplishment, how how often did you do acceptable work along each of these three axes? That's that's kind of where my system is kind of the, the basic question that my current approach is designed to ask to to answer, I should say. And there's a whole lot more detail than that. Really, you know, descriptive enough. I understand, but uh... and kind of on that same note, um, and going back to what we were talking about before with the different um, flavors of alternative grading, do you use something like basically similar to that in all of your classes, or do some classes like have some sort of variation? Because I know Sharona. Um, you teach a couple of very different classes. Like you do um, a GE uh, math class and you also do like a higher um, history of math. And those two grading systems, even for you, are very, you very know, different. very different from class to yeah. class. 
Yeah, well, they have to be. I mean, those are two different, fundamentally different uh, subjects, basically, that you're teaching there. And, and different students, too. I mean, the history of math class has probably got a very different clientele than like a, like a statistics, basic statistics class or something. For me, my, my teaching schedule has not nearly as much variation. In it. And I try to make it that way, right? I try to keep, I'm, I'm one of these kinds of people, I like to teach the same course over and over and over and over again and just keep getting better, try to get better at it if I can. So like this next year, I'm teaching just one class. I mean, just multiple sections of the same class all year long next year. And that's by design because I want to really go deep on this one particular class. And uh, that's that's all I do. I mean, I teach like three different classes, uh, computer, discrete structures with computer science one, discrete structures with computer science two, and differential equations with linear algebra. And that's that's basically it for me. And those are those are fairly similar kinds of classes, it turns out even though the, the, the subject material's kind of different. And so I tend to use the same approach. Now, on the other hand, uh, a couple of years ago, I taught uh, a class on abstract algebra, which I've taught many times before. Uh, but this, it's a very different class because the, you know, it's, a, it's an abstract math class. It's an upper-level class. There's a ton of writing in it. It's mostly uh, pre-service teachers in the class. And so that class was my first attempt and so far only attempt at ungrading, where I had no grades on any individual student work. We got a course grade in the class, and it was collaboratively determined between myself and students one-on-one -on -one, uh, using a portfolio of work that they collected throughout the semester. And I got that idea from David because David Clark, again, is a genius, and he can run this uh, thing to perfection. Uh, uh, my, my experience with ungrading was not perfection and I, it's probably all on me. Uh, but that, that made, I don't know how deep you want to go into that, but that was, that was a very different approach, uh, thinking about ungrading. Although I will have to say, uh, looking back, I wrote about this on my, on the blog, looking back at the, at the engineering class on differential equations, and linear algebra, uh, those students were just fantastic. I, I loved that group of students, but they were so grade conscious. It was like working with pre-med students, like super grade conscious. And I, I had, I thought many times during the class, I should have ungraded this one. <laughs> it was like the only way to get their brains unplugged from grades is to just not have any. I, I think I kind of, and uh, that would be a class that, you know, I, I have my criticism of ungrading is that it only works as well as students' abilities to self-assess. Like if you have a bunch of students that are just not experienced or skilled with determining whether their own work <coughs> is you know, the quality of their own work, then this is not going to you're not going to get real far with ungrading. But, you know, these engineering students were awesome at that. And I totally could have ungraded it. So the next time that class comes around in my rotation, I might try you know, a, uh, an Alfie Cone style ungraded setup just to see what happens. I've got to have a better relationship with the engineering department though, too, because they might not appreciate that. <laughs> we'll see. I don't want to, I don't want to make them mad. You know? And I thought it was interesting. What you just said is that what I'm hearing you say though, is that the goal of the class in part is what determines the type of grading the goal of the class, the, the audience of the class, like, uh, like Boz said, I teach a history of math class, I've only taught it once so far. I'm hoping to get it back. Uh, I don't have it back yet. And I really had to think about, you know, I've got 15 weeks to teach, you know, 30,000 years of the history of math. What the heck do I want them to know? It's not a prerequisite course. There's no specific knowledge that they have to have. And 
uh, it was my first time teaching the course. So I didn't have any, I mean, I was going to be learning along with the students. And I decided that my goal for that class was really to focus on teaching students to learn a subject they're not familiar with. So I picked some very, very broad themes and said, you need to choose during the course of the course, which of the four projects that I'm having you do is going to focus on which theme. And so the themes were things like, you know, gender and race as it impacts identity as a mathematician in history. Or one of the themes was, you know, number systems, number ancient arithmetic and number systems. And so they could pick anything from ancient Egypt to, you know, to the implementation of the the Hindu Roman numeral systems and all kinds of things. And we, we discovered all kinds of things together. I didn't quite ungrade it. I would call it specifications graded because I was the one setting the bar for when something was good enough because I wasn't even sure when it was sort of those, I'm going to know it when I see it. So there's no way they're going to know. So uh, yeah. So for me, that that's what drove it. And uh, right. And so the, the, you, you look at, you ask this question, basically, like, what is this class supposed to be about? Like, not, not what, what's the list of content in it? Because we didn't really have, it wasn't really focused on content. I mean, you had content, but that class was not about content. Right. Okay? It's very different from a differential equations class where, yeah, it's kind of about content. I mean, there's also some things that are not just straight up content, but there's a lot of basic content you need to know if you take a calculus class or a psychology class or a differential equations class. But something like that, it's more it's very high level. It's way up in the top third of Bloom's taxonomy most of the time. And so that's where, you know, you, if you want to see if students are succeeding in that class, you have to sort of think about what's class about, you know, just like if you ask if I ask you like what's Lord of the Rings about, you know, you don't start listing off the characters. I mean that's I mean it is about the characters, but it's about something much bigger than that. And that's where you got to put your focus. Uh, so I have a couple more questions about Boz. Do you have some that you want to that are coming to mind right now? I've got one topic I, I want to ask you about, Robert. But um, uh, if you've got other questions, Shrona, go ahead and ask them because this is what I want to ask them about is actually the connection between the two books. Okay. Mm. So the questions that I had left were, and this is partially because we are going to link some of the stuff in the show notes, but the process that you and Dave used in writing the book and, and what you use in the blog, is there anything in particular you'd like to highlight as awesome or not great or what you learned through that process? Cause that's very different than like being a PhD mathematician. Yeah. It was, it was a really interesting process and I really enjoyed it. I mean, uh, you know, David Clark is a great writer too. It turns out he has very good instincts. Uh, and, but we're, we're also really different as writers, I would say. And me coming from being a blogger, I'm, I'm much more sort of like, you know, the king of the hot takes, or I'm just sort of like shoot stuff out there online. It's just a blog, right? It's, it's, it's all good. And I would do that with a book and David just shoot that down immediately. <laughs> it's like, no, you shouldn't say it like that because that's going to make people mad. Like, yeah, you're probably right. So, I mean, it was more, it was very much a give and take. I mean, we split up uh, the work of writing the chapters. Uh, David is responsible for all the case studies. Uh, that was his sabbatical project uh, last winter semester was to put together all these case studies and do interviews and so on. And uh, I was responsible for some of the early chapters, like the research uh, summary and the history of breeding summary that's in there. It was a fascinating chapter to write. And 
we worked in isolation for a long time, but last summer, in about this time, we had an August 1st deadline with our publishers, and we were really kicking it in high gear. And we would uh, set up a Google document with a draft, and uh, off, you know, asynchronously, we would go in and add our stuff when it was our chapter to do. And uh, the, the way we, the, the, the process that we, that we turned out to use was uh, we get online on Zoom. Uh, we live in the same town, but it was just easier to do it on Zoom. And we pull up the draft and the Google Doc in front of us. And whoever uh, didn't write the chapter would read it aloud, word for word, and let the other person who wrote it actually listen. And that turned out to be like an amazing way to write because when you write stuff, you have this sound in your own head of how you think it's going to turn out. But then you hear somebody else say it and it's like, God, that is the worst writing I've ever heard. Who put this on paper? Oh, it was me. And so then, and so I would be sitting here with my keyboard and while David would read back my manuscript writing and I would be making edits live like, wow, that was crap. What was I thinking? Or, hey, that was pretty good or, or whatever the case may be. And so this, uh, it was interesting to have like converting it into an oral experience was like what really made it click. I think our writing really took off after that. We would probably spend sometimes 15, 20 hours a week on Zoom calls just reading to each other <laughs> like like bedtime stories, like the worst bedtime story ever. But, uh, um yeah, it's, 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 our, our process evolved. We even were to put a blog post up about this. It's on the Grading for Growth blog where we actually recorded an entire one of these sessions. If you ever seriously were so bored that you had you're bored out of your mind, you can go watch us do this whole thing. Yeah, we're actually going to uh, link you know, that in the show notes. I already have it. Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't advise spending the whole time on it because it was like a full like one and a half hour recording. And the blog is pretty similar. Uh, you know, we when it was we, we take turns writing we're, we're going to be moving to a new schedule pretty soon where we're going to be each of us post once a month and then we have guest posts we're trying to get a lot more guest posts going on the blog as we move forward from the book but before that we were doing just trading off weeks like david would do this week and i would do next week and david would do the week after that uh, our commitment was to always show up and always post something on Monday. So do not let life get in the way. If you feel like you're too busy, then suck it up and post something anyway, even if it's just like a 500 word, you know, one off type of deal. Uh, and I, I think that's what's really helped build our readership on that. Honestly, we have over 3000 subscribers to that newsletter now. Wow. Uh, and I think it's mostly because we're always there on Mondays. Like we don't take Mondays off unless it's a holiday, you know, which we will do in the summer. Uh, but, you know, I, we would just create a shared Google document and type the draft in. And then the other person would go in and make edits and suggestions on the draft and come back and just kind of do things. And I think one of the things that makes us work uh, on the blog and in the book is like David and I have this commitment. Like we don't try to make anybody sound like anybody other than who they are. Like, I don't try to make David sound like me. David doesn't make me try to sound like him. Uh, guest posters coming in. We'll, we'll offer, you know, edit advice and so forth. But you're going you're gonna to keep your voice. This is a distinct voice that you have if you write for us. And I, I think that's what makes it interesting. Just like, you know, we're talking right now on a podcast. Like, if, you're, if I tried to sound like Bosley, you know, vocal inflections and everything else, you know, it's, it's like, why just want to just have Bosley? Why have a person on here at all? Well, and I, you know, I'm going to suggest that maybe you need an upcoming guest uh, blog about launching a podcast. 
Hey, we we are we have a whole form on our blog for this, and I can give you the link for that. And uh, we're we're booking now. We want to we we really want to now that the book is kind of almost out. It's supposed to be out in 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 July, just in a few weeks. We're no longer using it, obviously, to like beta test chapters from the book because there, there's nothing to beta test. We really want to shift gears and start going deep on this whole idea of other people's practices, right? I mean, like uh, the, we have, we left a lot of case studies out of the book. We probably almost have enough case studies to make that we didn't put in to make a second book, honestly. And we would love to hear from anybody who's doing this. We, have, we already have five uh, guest posts kind of juggling. We're trying to get them in the schedule right now. Uh, we would love to be booked out a whole year in advance if possible. So yeah. Podcast. Well, we'll definitely included. put that link in the uh, in the show notes as well. And if you're yeah, listening sure. to the pod and want to want to be published on the Grading for Growth blog, it's gradingforgrowth.com. And uh, we will definitely put that up there. So those were my yeah. the last of my questions. So Bosley, you said you had one you wanted to go to town with. So um, we, we were talking earlier, this is actually your second book. Um, cool. Your first your first book, um, which I did not realize is came out as um, late as 2016. I actually thought it was an older book because I read it in 2017. I did not realize I read it when it was that new. Um, but and I don't know if you know this story, Robert, but when Sharona came to me the first year of the grading conference, you know, this was during the pandemic. You guys, you know, had were planning this in-person um, conference of you were expecting what, 30, 40, 50 people. Um, yeah. And then you guys, because you, you guys were all crazy, were like, we have no idea how to do this, but let's, let's go ahead and do this online. And the conference got much bigger at that point. It did get much so, bigger, yeah. Over 500. <laughs> yeah, it was at least Sharona 10 asked, times what we had expected, yeah. Yeah. So Sharona had asked me to join that first year as just kind of tech support to, to help, you know, help out with the, the Zoom rooms and all of that. And I thought she was crazy. But then she told me that you were going to be like, you're part of the organizing committee. And at that point, I was like, I'll, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do if I get to meet, you know, Robert Tavern. Oh, that's, 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 um, that's way more credit than I deserve, Bosley, but thank you. But uh, one of the things that I found very early on, especially when we went to pandemic, because that's kind of where Sharona and I started to do a lot of our training, is how well flip, the flipped classroom or flipped learning worked with remote education and how well that kind of worked with alternative grading. So I'm curious to get your insights and your input on how these two um, ideas of, of, you know, the flipped learning and alternative grading, you know, complement each other, or if you think they, they do work together. Oh, I, I definitely think they work well together. Although you don't have to, I would say like, if you're, if you're really not into the flipped learning thing, but you like the alternative grading or vice versa, then, you know, anybody listening, don't, you know, interpret what I'm about to respond to by saying like, yeah, you got to do both or you don't care about students or whatever. Uh, Cause that's not true. But I do find that there's an intersection that we all discovered in the pandemic. Uh, we all talk, everyone talks about mental health now. Uh, you, you know, I, I think that that issue about student mental health has been around a lot longer than we think it has been. It's, it predates the pandemic by a wide margin. And I know looking at students during the pandemic, I was department chair during the pandemic, the, the, the first onset, uh, the, like 
like the January through April semester of 2020. Uh, and, you know, looking at our students, you, you have to ask yourself, what do they really need? Like, what are the, what, if you have to strip down the higher education experience to its bare essentials, which is what we had to do during the pandemic to make this all work, you know, what is it that we have to provide to give our students a successful and enjoyable even experience. And, you know, I, I think the answer comes in the form of active learning. I mean, uh, students really want, even if they can't be physically present, they still want to be doing something. Uh, they want to be actively involved. They want to be, despite all appearances sometimes, they, I think students really want to be actively engaged in constructing their own understanding of what it is they're learning. They don't want to hear some talking head give a lecture on Zoom about differential equations or whatever. And so when you start putting it in those terms, like students are going to be happiest when they're most active, uh, then, okay, how do we make students, how do we give students the greatest amount of active engagement in a class? Well, now you're talking about like, well, we got to get a lecture out of the classroom first of all, because that's, that's the, the exact opposite of an active learning experience. And so the best way to do that is through a flip learning experience. But then there's also this piece of, you know, we want, students to be involved, to be engaged when they're active too, not just active, like mindlessly doing things, but doing things purposefully and towards a goal. And when you frame it like, well, I want students to learn purposefully towards a rational goal, that's a feedback loop. Okay. That's a, that's, that's where feedback loops come into. It doesn't matter what you're doing or what you're learning, the way that you get good at it in a way that satisfies you, like from the heart, is through a feedback loop, and our grading systems just weren't doing that. And so, both of these, both of active learning, both uh, there's there's flip learning and active learning and alternative grading. I think they all kind of meet in the middle where students' needs are the greatest. Uh, you by putting in an alternative grading system, you're saying all this activity that you're doing, <laughs> it, it, it means something because when you start iterating through this loop. And you get, you know, reattempts without penalty and you get helpful feedback and, you know, your the marks you get actually indicate, you know, your progress on things. Then what we're doing is you're saying your activity matters, like it's going somewhere. Okay? It's purposeful and it's meaningful. And then you have students who are much more ready to buy into whatever activity you're doing because it's going somewhere. It's not just like I'm showing up, I'm working problems in groups and then I'm going to get hammered on some one and done test. Uh, so th that's, that's where I'm seeing these two concepts kind of link up with each other is uh, the, the active learning is giving, is given a great deal of purpose in students' lives by, by assessing them in alternative ways. And the alternative assessment then kind of makes students feel more comfortable doing whatever activity it is we're doing, because that's how you're going to be great at. That's how you're going to get good at something. I, I think they meet in the middle with active learning. I, I think they both kind of, that's, that's the common denominator they have. And I think, I think you're absolutely right. And um, I also think that the, the thing that I've been telling a lot of people is that alternative grading is the linchpin. It's the thing that allows all the other things that we've been trying to do to actually work. Yeah, I, I would say that's absolutely true. If you, if you look at it in the negative it's, you definitely see the truth of that. Like, suppose you did all this active learning and then you just gave three tests in a final. <laughs> like, like, okay, all the, the only reason I am doing active learning now is to get a good grade on that test. And so it's, it's super extrinsic uh, motivation at that point. And it's kind of like, 
it's a means to an end. Whereas as instructors, we really want that active learning to be an end in itself, right? I mean, the uh, lifelong learning, which is like in every university's strategic plan. Oh, we really care about lifelong learning around here. It's like, well, do you? I mean, look in your classroom. What are you doing in your classroom that proves it? You know, lifelong learning is all about you know learning as an end in itself, right? I mean, it's uh, it's if you don't have if you graduate from Grand Valley or wherever, and you don't have the ability or the taste for learning things over your lifespan through feedback loops and through activity, then what did we just do with you for four years other than take your money? Yeah. And that's funny that that phrase lifelong learner is also in every single um, high school mission and vision statement yeah. I've ever seen. As well, well. It's just like, if you don't have it in there, then what are you even doing? Right. I mean, it's but, uh, but how many, how many institutions are really serious about this is my question. Like open up the door to a random classroom and see how serious, you know, an institution is. That's my new favorite thing to do. when I go visit other schools is just like stick my head in the classroom stick my head in a hundred classrooms and see what percentage of them are actually doing things for students versus just simply communicating a talking head information drives me crazy. Well, and you know, that is definitely something that we're going to at some point want to bring you back on the pod is to talk about your perspective from an admin level. Cause I know you've spent time in administration. It's definitely one of the things that we hear a lot about. Um, but I do think we're at time um, now so I do want to say, Robert, I was really looking forward to this. You have definitely been one of the inspirations in my journey. Um, and it's always just such a joy to talk to you and hear from you. Are there any uh, things that you want to share with the people listening, ways that they can connect with you online or read what you're doing? Sure. So uh, you mentioned uh, my my blogs. I have my I kind of have a bad time with restraint when it comes to writing things. So I have my website is rtalbert.org and uh, that's sort of an aggregator. I Things that I post elsewhere tend to end up reposted there. So kind of a one-stop shop and you can learn more about kind of my books and what I'm doing. I also write with David Clark at gradyforgrowth.com. I have a third blog uh, called Intentional Academia, uh, which is about, it's very different. It's uh, it's about finding balance and meaning and and purpose as a, uh, it's, it's not a productivity blog, <laughs> that's what I should say, but it includes a lot of stuff about productivity hacks and, and systems that you can employ to have a more meaningful and enjoyable experience as an academic. Uh, that's at intentionalacademia.substack.com. And uh, like you said, uh, books coming out called Grading for Growth. I could tell you the subtitle, but it's like the world's longest subtitle. We did not choose the subtitle. It's like, <laughs> it's like almost a, like a 50 word subtitle. And uh, that is uh, going to be out uh, next month in July uh, from Stylus Publication. If you go to Stylus uh, Publications website, you can pre-order it now and uh, get it when it's hot, uh, which will be, should be pretty soon. Otherwise, uh, I'm occasionally on Twitter, uh, probably more than I ought to be. And uh, elsewhere, you'll find me, I think. I try to maintain little outposts on any viable social media. Love to connect with anybody who has a question and wants to learn more, you know. Yeah, we'll put links to all that. And I, I do believe you're available to be hired as a speaker or educational consultant. Where is that information? Is that also on your rtalbert.org website? Yeah, go to rtalbert.org. There's a little menu across the top, and there's one that says speaking and, work, speaking and workshops. So you click on that, and it uh, kind of gives you a little bit of information. And there's another page you can click through from there to get, you know, like a, a little sign-up form or to learn more. 
Well, you know, thank you so much for agreeing to be our, our first guest. It was really, truly inspirational. And, and it's been just such a joy working with you since really since PolyTeach, which was 2017. Um, no, crazy how long ago that was. And right back at both of you, it's been great to kind of watch you. I have my best wishes on this podcast. I think you're, this is a great space to be in. I think you two are the perfect people to do it. Thank you. Well, we, we talked you. about writing a book and we said, no way. <laughs> yeah, books are too hard. Nobody reads books. Yeah, well, and and although I do more writing than I ever thought I would as a mathematician, I am not first and foremost a writer. And Bosley, you love writing. Oh yeah, it, it, anyone that's ever seen me write knows how sarcastic that was. <laughs> so with that, uh, I think we'll be signing off again. We'll put everything in the show notes and. Um, Coming up on the blog, we will have, uh, not on the blog, on the pod, coming up on the pod, we will definitely pod. be bringing a lot more uh, detail as we continue to, um, you know, dive in uh, into some of the uh, details of how to do this. You know, we've got sessions coming up or um, episodes coming up on um, assessment design, calendaring, planning, getting buy-in from students, admins. We're going to have a whole conversation at some point about due dates. So we've got a lot of things coming up. Anything else you want to say goodbye with, Boz? No, just, uh, you know, again, thank you, thanking you, Robert Tybert. Uh, I, you know, like I said, you were have been a huge inspiration in my growth as an educator. And really, I don't know if I would have agreed to be part of the Grady Conference at the beginning if, if you hadn't been in there. Uh, Sharona would have convinced you. She would have twisted your arm hard enough. You would Possibly. have given it eventually. Yeah, but it was a lot easier with the bribe. <laughs> <laughs> if you can afford it, bribes are useful. That's for sure. Yeah. Please share your thoughts and comments about this episode by commenting on this episode's page on our website, www.thecreatingpod.com. Or you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. If you would like to suggest a future topic for the show or would like to be considered as a potential guest for the show, please use the Contact Us form on our website. The Grading Podcast is created and produced by Robert Bosley and Sharona Krinsky. The full transcript of this episode is available on our website.